We're in Luke chapter number 23. And uh, we've come to next week is the Resurrection Sunday. I'm glad that we have the Easter Sunday and a time to remember that. I want to encourage you to invite friends to come. You'll be glad you came. Next week is an opportunity for us to share the gospel with many new ears and then re rejoice in the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, if Jesus didn't resurrect, then you and I would not be going to heaven. And, uh, and, if, and if God can bring Jesus back from the grave, then he can do anything else that needs to be done. And nothing's impossible with God. And I'm so grateful for that. And Luke chapter 23 is where we find our reading today. But I want to give you a little bit of background. We've been studying the book of Luke, and the next time we join together uh, in the book of Luke, it's probably two weeks from today, we will go back to Luke chapter 7. But I felt like we could go to the same book and talk a little bit about the cross today, about Calvary, about what took place in those few hours in preparation to the cross and what took place on the cross. I don't think I'll ever be able to share with you. I don't understand it all myself. It will be all eternity, I imagine, before we'll even understand what took place when God gave his son, Jesus. Because we're made in the image of God, and God is one God, and then three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. His spirit, his soul, and his body, Jesus. Well, on the cross, Jesus died. God died. There was a separation of the body and the soul and the spirit. Just like when you die, your body's going to stay and your spirit and soul are going to leave. And that had to happen because the wages of sin is, and Jesus, the innocent, had to die for us, the guilty. There had to be a separation of Jesus and his father so there wouldn't be a separation with you and his father. It's a beautiful testimony. But as we look at this, we see Jesus now in Luke chapter 22, he finds himself back in Judea. He was from the Galilean area, but he's, he's from Judea, came down with his disciples. This would be the last time he would go there. He would, after he would be resurrected, he would tell his disciples, meet me in Galilee. But it was the Passover and Jesus would come down and he came down with his, his uh, 12 disciples in that time, Judas, the Bible says, Satan entered his heart, and he invited him in. And he went and negotiated with the high priest on how he could deliver Jesus to them. A sinister plot. He did it for just 30 pieces of silver, which really was a lot of money, but it wasn't a lot of money for doing what he did. Matter of fact, any time we turn away from the Lord or do something away from God, whatever you might gain of it, it's not enough. We ought to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. But Judas was not, and he arranged that. And while he was doing that, Jesus was arranging the Last Supper. He put together a plan, and he already had it all planned out. He told his disciples, go up there and tell them we'll be there in a little bit and prepare for the Last Supper. And, of course, that's when he gathered his disciples together. And he took a piece of bread, and he took a, a cup and, and said, this bread is the, my broken body. This cup is the, the New Testament in my blood. And, uh, and we're not going to do this again until one day we do it together with my Father in heaven. But whenever you do it on earth, remember me. Then he took a towel and he washed each of the feet, even Judas. He washed Judas's feet. In just a few minutes, Judas put his sandals back on to make his way to negotiate and to take the money and then to bring the soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane. After 
They did the Lord's Supper. He washed their feet. They sang a hymn and made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. There he would stay before the Lord. And he asked, he took the other, all of them were there with the exception of Judas, but he asked Peter, James, and John to join him in a prayer meeting. He said, you guys tarry here, and I'm going to go away to pray. Watch and pray that you enter not to temptation. And of course, in that time, he'd already challenged Peter. Peter was very strong and very self-confident. And he said, uh, Peter, uh, when you're converted, you'll strengthen your brethren. He said, the devil wants to get you and sift you like weak. He's going to work on you, so you need to be strong. Pray. By the way, praying Christians rarely fall. If they fall, they don't fall as hard. And Jesus said to him, he said, you better watch and pray. He said, I'll never deny you. Ha, not me, buddy. I'm, I'm ready to die right now. I'm ready to go. And he said, before tomorrow morning, when the rooster gets up on his little perch and begins to crow, uh, you will have denied me three times. And boy, it really grieved him. How dare the Savior say that to him? But that would exactly happen. They were there, and Jesus went over to check on them three times to see if they were with him in the prayer meeting. And every time they had fallen asleep. Instead of praying, they slept. And he woke them up and told them to watch and pray. But as he was praying the last time, the soldiers came, and Judas is with them. This is a Roman garrison. This is a Roman uh, tribune, man in charge of them. He's bringing Roman so They bring a lot of soldiers with him. And Judas is the one who leads them, and he says, Hi, Jesus, and he comes to him and gives them the traditional kiss. And this week I'll be in Egypt, and I'll actually I'll have the opportunity to enjoy that as well. There are several guys, when they greet you, we, don't, we shake hands here. They just take you and they, you know, and you're like, <laughs> you know, for my culture, it's a little bit unusual. But for the Middle Eastern culture, that's what they did. They said, oh, I'm glad to see you, Habibi, you know, like that. And I'm sure Jesus did that many times if you were to go in the Middle East. And Judas came and said, hi, Jesus, and he kissed him. And he said, you're going to betray me with a kiss? Because that's how he told him, this is the person you want to arrest, the one I go and greet. And as soon as that happened, they, he said, whom seek ye? And they said, well, we're looking to Jesus. He says, I am. And they all fell on their backside. And then, of course, Peter got upset and tried to find some way. He took a sword and tried to whack at one of them and probably knocking his head off and just missed it and got his ear. Jesus repaired the ear and then they took him off. At first, he didn't go to the jail. He went to the high priest's house, his own home, and hundreds of other people were there. They blindfolded him and punched him in the face and asked, if you're who you say you are, who hit you just now? So you can imagine his face began to swell with the punches and the slaps and the hits that he was taking, the jerk and the movement. He said, are you the son of God? He said, well... Thou sayest. We don't have any, we don't need any other proof. He just now admitted. So they went, and of course, no doubt, the high priest and Pilate were in cohorts. Early in the morning, they went to the court of Pilate. It was early on that morning. He has not slept now since the previous night. He's been all up all night being beaten and roughed up. And now they take him into Pilate's court, and he there sits in front of Pilate, stands in front of Pilate, and Pilate interviews him, and he gives him very little. He says, are you really the king of the Jews? He says, thou sayest. 
And he realized he wasn't dealing with, he, dealing with just another man. There was something going on there. His mother, his, excuse me, his wife had warned him, don't have anything to do with this man. This guy is righteous. I've got a bad dream. If you do something against him, something bad's going to happen to us. Don't, don't do it. He's a good man and you know it. But he couldn't hardly get out of the situation. The Jews were coming very strong at him, and the leaders were roughing up the people, crucify him. This guy has to go. He's a seditionist. He's against Roman government. It wasn't true. He stirs up the people. That wasn't true. They were trying to find anything that would captivate this extension of the Roman government, Pilate. He says, he even causes problems in Galilee. So are you from Galilee? And that made him happy because now he thinks he can get out of the situation, because Herod, Antipas, is in charge of Galilee, and he happens to be in Jerusalem at the time. He said, oh, that's out of my jurisdiction. He's a Galilean. Send him over to Herod. Herod was happy to see him. He wanted him to do some kind of a miracle. But you might remember Herod had killed his cousin, John the Baptist. He's married to Herodias. Jesus had already called Herod the fox. He'd already said some things publicly about him, but Herod was glad to see him, but uh, he didn't do anything. As a matter of fact, he didn't say one word to Herod. He He had argued with him and tried to get him to say something, and the prosecution came and screamed all kinds of accusations against Jesus. He stood there, and at the conclusion, he got nothing out of him but frustration. So Herod just said, go get a robe. If he wants to be a king, we'll give him a robe. And they put a robe on him and made fun of him and mocked him and then had the Roman guards take him back to Pilate. He goes to Pilate. Pilate's in, in he's, he's torn up. He's tied up, tied in a banjo string. He doesn't know what to do. He's trying to find every way he can. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just, I'll have him scourged. I'll have him beaten and then I'm releasing. There's nothing wrong with it. He hasn't done anything wrong. We have nothing. Herod knows it. I know it. And by the way, they became friends after that. They were, they were enemies, but they, they rejected the same Savior, so they became cohorts, cohorts and friends after that decision. So there's nothing wrong with him. Let's let him go. I'll have him beaten, though. I hope that makes you happy. He said, no, we're not satisfied. He said, well, it's the time of the year we release one of your prisoners. Let him go with you. He says, no, we don't want him. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a known seditionist and a murderer. And they said, give us Barabbas. Let Barabbas go. We want him crucified. And the Bible says here in this passage of Scripture, finally, their wishes prevailed. And they began to beat him. The cat of nine tails, whatever it is. Luke doesn't go into quite the same details, but they beat him. And oftentimes men would not even survive the beating. Now, if you ever see Jesus painted in, a, in an effeminate way, you can know for sure that's not the way it was. He was a carpenter, he was in construction, he was a man's man. Just to take the beating that he took. Many times the beating would happen with Roman soldiers and they would string them up and, and throw those nine tails around them with metal and glass and pull back and just shred the skin. It was an art for these torturous men. Sometimes people would be standing there and their whole stomach and their bowels would just land at their feet because they would pull back all the muscle around someone's stomach. Well, Jesus, after that, they put a cross on him. You'll see in the passage of Scripture, I think it would be good for you to see it. Look, if you would please, at Luke chapter 23, and verse number 26, as they led him away to Calvary, 
they laid hold upon one Simon, the Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. So Jesus was struggling. He'd been up all night. He'd been pushed around, beaten, punched all evening, and then all morning marched from Pilate to Herod back to pushed and shoved and dragged, and then beaten. And now they put a cross on him, and he's carrying the cross to Calvary. I've had the joy to be at the place where they, they, they assume is Golgotha, Calvary. It's a quite a walk. It's a challenging way to go, and he's there carrying that. And they, they realize he's not going to be able to probably have the strength to carry it, so they, they, they force a man named Simon of Cyrene. Some people believe he became a great Christian and had two young men who were great servants of God, Rufus and Alexander, who also served as his son, served in that ministry. Some people believe he went up to Antioch and became one of the main leaders there, Simon Niger. They pulled him in and said, you've got, to, you've got to carry this cross. And he took on this unexpected cross. And once again, the cross, he didn't, he didn't go that day thinking that he was going to carry a cross. And you probably don't go into your life thinking you're going to carry something difficult and hard. But everybody does. There's not one life I know that lives any distance of time that doesn't occasionally have to take on something that's unwanted, something that's painful, something that's difficult and unexpected that comes your way. But Simon was, did that. And it looks like Simon went on to serve the Lord with his life. And by the way, after you carry a difficult burden, you can serve the Lord with your life too. You can take that unexpected cross and say, you know what, I'm going to keep on going. And he did, and he carried on that. As he went there, of course, the Bible says there were many women who were along the way crying. It's interesting, Luke mentions ladies uh, 43 times in the book of Luke. John mentions 19, and Mark mentions 19. Matthew mentions them 30 times. But Luke mentions lots of ladies, Mary and Martha, Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, the lady who broke the alabaster box. Lots of other girls were mentioned in this Bible, in, in the book of Luke. And he mentions, and by the way, I just want to say, I thank God for the precious ladies in Christianity. I thank God for the precious ladies in this church. But we find here that, that uh, she, they're crying. He says, don't, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. This is not going to get better after this. It's going to come a difficult time, and there would come a difficult time. And he prophesies of that. And then the Bible tells us, I need you to look at your scripture here. Our time is going by quickly. And you look at verse 32, the Bible says there, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. So he wasn't the only cross, person carrying the cross. There were two other malefactors or prisoners, people who were going to be executed that day. Verse 33, this is the verse that I want to bring your attention to. And when they were come to the place which was called Calvary. By the way, I'm glad we use the King James Version of the Bible. If you look at other versions of the Bible, uh, the NIV, the ENS, NSV, they don't use the word Calvary. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm glad God put it in our Bible, and I'm glad we can read it. The place is called Calvary. And I want you to notice the next four words. This is all Luke says, a little, little bit about the cross. Would you read the next four words with me? There, they, one more time. There. Of course, the malefactors on one hand, the other on the left. Several things happened there, as you can see, that Jesus did. He says, there 
They crucified him. You'll go on and you'll see that there was Jesus mediating to the Father. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You'll see that others on the ground begin to mock him and wag their heads and say, if you're all that in a bag of chips, if you really are, then save yourself. Even the malefactor mocked him and said on one side, why don't you, if you're, if you're really the son of God, take me off the cross, take yourself off the cross. The other one said, oh, oh we're sinners. He's, he's not sinning. He said, Lord Jesus, would you consider remembering me when you come into your kingdom? There were certainly mediation going on. We see, find that, that there were mockers going on. There were malefactors, two of them. And then there were miracles. Three miracles took place that day. Number one, the sun went out in the middle of the day. That was a miracle. Number two, the temple veil split from top to bottom, 60 feet of thick temple uh, curtain that separated mankind from the Holy of Holies. It split from the top to the bottom miraculously that day. And then, of course, the centurion, the guy who had seen multiple executions by way of crucifixion, he said, he said that, that was a righteous man right there. I've seen a lot of people die. I've never seen anybody die like that. That's the Son of God. That's a righteous man. And the miracle, whenever a person recognizes who Jesus is, the miracle of the soul. But the Bible just says through four words, Luke says, on the crucifixion, there they crucified him. I want you to notice those words quickly. Number one, there, that's, that's the place. That's the place, that's Golgotha, that's Calvary. That's the place where God exchanged my sin for his sacrifice. That's where the blood came out. That's where the body was beaten. That's where he died. That's the place. I'm glad I don't have to go there to get saved. I've had the joy to be there, but you don't have to go to Israel to come to know Jesus. But I think there's important we have a place that his his. His sacrifice took place there. Number two, they. You see the place. Number two, you see the people. It was Passover. Some believe as many as of a million people came upon Jerusalem during that time. God chose when his son would be paid for our sin, there would be lots of spectators watching. Even Simon, he was there from Cyrene, out of his own country that was forced to carry that cross. There was everybody there. There were men there. There were ladies there. There was young. There was old. There was Romans there. There were Greeks there. There were Jews there. There were people who were saddened and sorrowing. There were some people who were happy and glad and mocked and thought this was the best day. There were atheists and there were believers. Everybody was there and they crucified him. You see a place and you see a people. You know, the, the cross, Calvary, is for everybody. God is not willing that any would, would perish. If you're a man, you can be saved this morning, and you need to be. Because everybody is saved the same way. If you're a woman, you need to be saved this morning. And Jesus died in that place for people like you and like me. We have to understand we're a sinner. We can't save ourselves. Only Jesus could save us. And we had to believe him. We see the place. We see a people. And then we see the price. 
They crucified. There they crucified. We see the price that was paid. As I shared this morning, if the Jews would have executed him, they would have stoned him like they did Stephen, like they did other people that broke their laws. But the Jews didn't kill Jesus. I did. You did. It was my sin that put him there. But God used a crucifixion in the Old Testament when people were snake-bitten and Moses was overseeing the people of God and snakes were biting people and they were dying. And they went to God and says, God, please, we've, we've sinned against you. Help us. What can we do? And Moses put up a big serpent on the top of a pole, very high among all the camp. He said, if anybody gets snake-bitten, what they can do is they can go look at the pole and look at the serpent and then they can be healed. They could look and they could live. Jesus said, I must be high and lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll suspend myself between heaven and earth. I'll be that mediator. And how can they be saved? They have to look to Jesus. You're not looking to a baptistry. You're not looking to her name on a, on a church roll. You're not looking at your good works or my good works. You're not looking to a priest or a pastor. You're not looking to an organization, a program, or a property. You're looking to the person of Jesus Christ. There, a place. They, a people. Me, you, anyone. A price, crucified. Him, a person. Salvation is obtained through the person of Jesus. There's no other way. They crucified the God of heaven so you and I could be with him forever. He died so we could live. If you're here this morning, you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. You can leave this room knowing that. If you're not sure about that, I don't care if you were raised in this church, but you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. Don't go to hell over a mistake. The world's greatest mistake is to go to hell over a mistake. I'm not here to, I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm just telling you. If you're wondering about that, get that settled. God loves you. And the cross is about you. It's about me. It's about his, my sin. It's about what he did for me on the cross. Luke describes the crucifixion in four words. There, a place. They, a people. Crucified, a price. Him, the person of Jesus Christ. What does he mean to you? You know, A.W. Tozer said this, and I've quoted it several times. I didn't even know he said it, but someone told me recently he did. What's the most important thing in a person's mind is what comes to them into their mind when they, when they think about Christ. You know, the higher opinion I have of Christ, the deeper my commitment will be for him. The deeper I love him, the higher my ceiling of commitment will go for him. If you have a low opinion of Jesus, you'll live like an idiot. If, if Jesus is not important to you, you'll do whatever you want to do with your life and you won't consult him. But when Jesus matters to us, the person of the crucifixion, then it raises our ceiling of love and care and attention to him. 